What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my conversation with Reinout Yurlemens. Really hope I didn't butcher his last name. He's a very powerful man and could end my career. Uh, but what a fantastic story. A mutual friend of ours suggested I have him on the show, and I'm so happy he did. Shout out to Jeff Goldman over there at 3Ball for setting us up. Reinout is the Dutch-born businessman who founded iWorks and would later go on to sell it for $273 million to Warner Brothers. He is now the chairman of the board for 3Ball Entertainment. 3Ball is the company, of course, behind Bar Rescue, Biggest Loser, Extreme Weight Loss, and a host of other shows. But Reinout's story is unlike any other in that he actually started his career as an actor starring in the first-ever daily soap opera in the history of the Netherlands. He would star in that series for six years. Later, he became the host of that country's version of American Idol, as well as their version of Dancing with the Stars. He then found himself working under John DeMaul, where he really started to learn how to produce and sell his own international formats. And what would start as one company, iWorks, later grew into 16 companies globally. So, if you are an aspiring businessman or woman and want to learn how to take your production company and grow it into a global footprint that will one day sell to a major Hollywood studio, this is the episode for you. Hope you enjoy it. I love the offices, by the way. Yeah, it's good, huh? Yeah, the guys did a great job. So, this was an old uh, distribution center for Under Armour. Yeah. And we gutted it and we made it into one big creative space. So we're, we're actually very happy to be here. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my dream scenario is you took this giant warehouse yeah. distribution center yeah. and made it into your own. It's very cool. And the cool thing is that um, obviously we're not, you know, we're not in Studio City or where a lot of other producers are. We're a little bit bit further away. but We're here in Redondo Beach. Redondo Beach, close to Manhattan Beach. So it's the beach is literally like one mile, mile and a half, two miles away. So the guys on Friday morning go out surfing. Before <laughs> breakfast, you see all the surfboards lined up here, and then they have breakfast together, and then they come in the office and work. Where do you live? So I live in uh, West Hollywood at the moment, yeah. So the, the key kind of a bitch. It's not that bad. So if you take 405, you take Sunset 405 <laughs> down, it's fine. But going back up, it's You're it's such bitch. a Californian. Uh, yes. You've become a Californian. And I love it. How quickly we got in the freeway talk. <laughs> I know. Well, I live here now for three years, but you're right. You know, uh, when, with four kids, you 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 just dive in and you uh, you soak it. What are the ages? So seven. Uh, we have uh, boy, girl, boy, girl. Seven, uh, ten, twelve, and fifteen. Sorry, I'm I'm. I have to think. About oh it. man, it's a lot. All life stages. Yes. All yes. those crazy stages. Yeah. You've got junior high angst going on. Yes. You've got middle of high school going on, a couple years out from colleges, touring colleges. Uh, 100%. And, and a lot of sports going on. And, and oh, that's, really? that's totally different than uh, I, I'm from the Netherlands. You know, um, there the kids do everything on the bicycle. Right. And here you must have a lot of cars and help and Ubers because. With all the sports and everything that's going on, it's very, very difficult to keep up with it. Well, I did, I did a little bit of research. This is different yes. from most interviews I've done because I, I've never met you. This is literally our first conversation. Everybody else I've had on the show, I've known for years or worked with them or for them in some capacity. So I did a little bit of research in advance just Great. so I didn't embarrass myself in front of somebody as important as, oh, as you. Go on. And you're, wasn't your wife... A cyclist? Like a world-class cyclist? Yes, very much so. Um, Danielle is a, uh, is a prof- she was a professional cyclist. She did Tour de France and all the big, um, you know, the, the, the big competitions. So we do 
when we go out biking together, she yeah. is literally. I'm only looking at her, on, at her behinds because she's really way better. But than your me. kids inherited the athletic gene. Were you not into sports? I was up? into sports. I was into field hockey, which is not a typical sport here in, in, in the west coast for sure but in europe it's a pretty big sport yeah so you grew up in a small was it a small village in the netherlands grew up well no not really i grew up in the hague which is okay. uh which is uh, about 30 miles out from amsterdam okay. uh which is a fantastic nice beach city uh two older brothers uh got nothing to do with media or television um, what did your parents do so my my dad was a dentist uh my huh. yeah and my my mom uh, at the later stage, she studied um, uh, I art history. So okay. uh, my my brothers all went to college. I'm the youngest one. I was always you know always sports and and doing my own things and playing the violin. When I come to think about it, but, violin. Uh, the violin. Were you good? <laughs> well, no. At one stage, I was okay, but but there was a lot of practice involved. A lot of practice, and I did competitions and those kind of things it was by the water it was, by so water, was by it the sea. a touristy town in the yeah you had a you had a little beach town called scheveningen jimmy please <laughs> please repeat scheveningen. Sounds, sounds good when you say it scheveningen scheveningen which is uh adjacent to den haag so yeah there was a pretty big beach uh surf pretty beach uh, beach life in the summer so would sure. you have like the summer vacationer girls come by and you were like the local it's like kind of like the hamptons here in America, Maybe yeah, those vacation girls come with their family. For sure. Kind of like Dirty Dancing, if you're familiar with that movie right yeah, now. Of course we are. We, we That's the funny thing, you know, in, in, especially in Holland. We grew up with the same pop culture as you guys did. Is that true? 100%. I so, was gonna, that was my next question yes. for you. Is, what, what were you influenced by? Totally. You know, the biggest show we had on air was was Dallas in my in my days. And maybe wow. that's, that's, that's... But the point is that, you know, if we make the bridge towards, let's say, media and, and television, if you look at the Dutch landscape. We are, we saw all the American shows subtitled, so not 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 dubbed or anything, but subtitled. So mm-hmm. we grew up with everything that you guys grew up with, you know, um, which is kind of intriguing. And I think, by the way, Holland is a pretty big uh, pioneer in in creating TV shows and formats. Right. My theory on that is that we grew up, like I said, we we're educated by the same level that you guys have with making American television, but the budgets are way bigger, et cetera. And we had to be really creative because our, our country is so small, right? Right. Back in the day, 16 million people. Now it's maybe 17, 18. So we had to be very inventive and very creative on how can we talk to the audience, making the same production levels, you know, production values, with totally different budgets. And right. we were very influenced by all international TV and media, not only from the U.S., but from, from the U.K. as well, sure. like the BBC and everything. So that's pretty interesting about the Dutch uh, so uh, Dallas. culture. Yes. What other shows maybe made the Everything. Win? Everything that you, you name me a show, and I can tell you all about it. You know, the, every, ni- the 90s sitcoms? Uh, uh, totally. You know, the, the, but, but even Cheers, but, but, uh, which was earlier. But... Beverly Hills 90210, man. We, oh, we, sure. They, these bold and the beautiful, believe it or not. <laughs> bold and the beautiful, you know. The soaps, they were they were big in, big in Holland. So. so the 90210, yeah. the 90210 dream of California living and all that and the representation of that lifestyle and the Aaron Spelling creation, that really transcended and worked over there? Totally. And did that ever get you thinking of ever coming to America? It's interesting that you mention it like this because, no, I've never thought about it. But maybe deep down, it was like, oh, my gosh, this, this is amazing. Huh. Uh, to be honest, you know, we live here now for three years. It's a fantastic lifestyle. You lived here how long? 
We live here now for three years, close to three years. years, only three years. Yeah. Okay. But it's a fantastic lifestyle. I mean, in 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 Holland or my parents, say, what are you doing in, in the U.S. and how do you see that? Yeah, nah, we're not going to be political in this conversation, but there are a lot of things going on. Um, but it's a fantastic lifestyle well, in this. Well, country. I do want to get into later asking you about the pluses and minuses of sure. international television versus the the U.S. marketplace. But I want I want to get into your trajectory here because. Yes. I was not aware of this until our mutual friend Jeff Goldman, you know, said you need to totally uh, interview Ryan out. He has such a fascinating story. That's great, and, yeah. and I did my diligence. And I know you can't say it, so I will for you. My understanding is that in the Netherlands and in uh, many parts of Europe, you you are a huge like, – you're like the Will Smith and Brad Pitt. <laughs> Of, of nope. that region. I mean, you are swarmed <laughs> well, 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 okay. on the streets, are you not? Jimmy, we're going to stop you <laughs> right, right here. Um, no, that's, not, that's too much. The, the fact of the matter is... Do you have to have security when you're there? No, but the whole thing with, with uh, celebrities and stardom and those kind of things are... Is different, I guess, in Europe, especially in, in Holland, if you could, would compare it to... There's uh, no paparazzi, right? Well, there is, but you know all the guys. And you yeah, talk to them. it's a like, farmer with a camera. Well, no, they, well, <laughs> you know all these guys. And but the point I wanted to make is, you know, when when I got to be on television, totally unplanned or maybe even unintended. You I were was, a college student at the time. So I want, yeah, I wanted to go to college in the summer in The Hague, in the city that we just talked about. I had a, a summer job and. I was on the Denneweg, which is a nice little fantastic shopping street in The Hague. And and, and a woman tapped me on my back and, and said, you know, I, I'm a casting agent. Would you like to come in for an audition for a new uh, daily series? And I answered. Her name is Re- Rebecca van Leeuwen. She's a fantastic woman. I answered, listen, I've never acted before. So and she said, it doesn't matter. Please come in. Uh, so I went. And that it's funny when I when I talk about it now, you know, I can literally see all the images because it made such a big impression when I drove for the first time into uh, the studios, the TV studio complex in Aalsmeer. At the time, the biggest studio complex of all of Europe by uh, by a visionary man named Joop van den Ende, mm. who is the founding partner of John de Mol. Joop van den Ende and okay. John de Mol and the mall. Got it. When before they merged their companies into End Mall. Got it. It was a separate uh, com- competitors. And, he, and the, he was doing soaps. He casted me. I did a couple of auditions, obviously, uh, with an Australian team looking over it because they bought the rights from an Australian production to right. do the remake. It's just the first daily series ever in the Netherlands. And I even think the first daily series on the on the continent in Europe. Five times a week, it was broadcast at 7 o'clock at, at night, so not mm. at daytime. I got the part, and I never forget. When I got the phone call from, from the, the, the casting guy saying, hey, are you, are you sitting down because I've got incredible news? You got the part. You're going to be on the new series. And I, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I told my parents they wanted me to go to college to, you know, to, to, to become a lawyer. Or, and I said, Dad, I think I'm going to be on television. I, I, and then I thought, you know, I've got to do it for six months. After that, you know, you can always go to college. And it was an amazing period because we all had to find out how to make television, five episodes a week, every day. And then we were on air and the impact it had was amazing. How many years had the local region been doing soaps? Was, no. this, was this brand new? First ever, ever. This Continental first, Europe. This is the first ever primetime soap. Well, not even primetime. The first daily drama. Got it. In 
in Holland for sure, and even in, in continental Europe. It was so, never done before. Hold on a second. So you're just a college student yes. going about your business. Yeah. You get plucked by this casting uh, director yeah. who says, you have a great face. Do you want to come audition? Which, by the way, if there isn't a lot of local TV. And they wanted actors it. or people that were not known by the bigger bigger public, right? So, Did you have any idea what you were doing when you went in for that audition? I did not. And I, I, <laughs> but maybe that was my, my let's say, my... Uh, my uh, Naivete? Yeah, maybe, yeah. But, but maybe they, they... You know, when I came into the TV studio complex, which was huge, all the big game shows, all right. the big studio shows of Endemol, from the end, for German market, were right. all taped in, in, in that studio complex near Schiphol. When I came here to, in, in for the audition, there were like 40 or 50 guys that were going up for my part, named Arnie. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was the part? What was the role? I was like the, well, like the, the good guy, you know, like the, I uh, said, more, more or less like the Bobby Ewing. Right. <laughs> of, it was a soap. Of so you like a wealthy, handsome, more or less, strapping yeah. young buck? Yeah, but I got very close to a guy that was my counterpart, but we were very good friends okay. in the series. Okay. And from the minute we met each other... We hit it off, and we were great buddies. You know? So that chemistry totally that chemistry worked on was camera. Totally, and and uh, his name is Anthony Kamerling. He passed away, um, but he's a very very close friend, deep wow. deep inside my uh, my heart. Because we had an incredible time, Jimmy. What happened is, after six months, we thought, okay, this is it. And then the ratings went through the roof, like literally through the roof. And then I was on the show, and I had so much fun. And I'm like, oh, maybe college can wait. And then, you know, to be making television together, uh, which was very successful, I had such a great time. And that's where I decided I want to be in TV. This yeah. is what I love. By the way, I ended up doing it for six years. Right. Six years. And along the way, during those six years, you were learning everything. You were studying how it was made. Yes. Were you starting to think about producing then? Or were you thinking, I'm always going to be in front of the camera? Great question. I mean, what happened is, you know, if you're in a, in a daily series, uh, you come in at 7 o'clock in the morning, you leave at 7 o'clock at night, right? right? But you're not always on set. Right. What I did when I was not on set, I, I went to the other studios on the studio complex. Right. I looked at the rehearsals of all these big shows. Wow. I saw guys hosting it that I looked up to, you know, famous Dutch hosts who were... German host who I adored and I'm like that's yeah when I kind of thought I want to work by the way in front of for the camera right and yeah I'd love to be a producer so when did the producing start so so the series runs its course six years six years then I had the chance but I you know it is not easy to explain if you're like a soap actor you're really in a box right sure that's what you it's are it's that way here too yeah it's that same thing it is. so you have to come you know it's a pretty big grind to get out of that and right. to show your other side. And it, you have to work it hard, which I did. And I got the trust of Joop van den Ende, who became more or less like my mentor, for which I'm very grateful. Um, but then I got a chance to host my own show. And that was for young guys because we get so much mail. You know, when Arnie was, his parents were divorced in the series. We had like, you know, bags of mail with kids and saying, oh, my gosh, you, you, I'm experiencing the same, the same thing, the right? The old school fan mail. Yes. Give me advice. Yeah. yeah. And we turned that into a TV show, which was sincere and huh. authentic. And I would host it and I would you know, wow. talk to, to these kids and whatever. That became a 
pretty good success and critically acclaimed as well. And but now was, the audience had a connection with you. Yes. Not your character, totally. but, with, but with you. Yes. And that was my first. It ended up that I, I could host my own shows. I did a uh, interview studio-based show for a long time. I did American Idol, the Dutch version, okay. first two seasons, which were phenomenal to do. I did, eventually I did um, uh, Dancing with the Stars. So I became a host. Okay. And then, long story short, I had the opportunity to create my own shows. I worked for Endemol. Not trained, but you, you did work under John Totally, Jamal. totally. And what, what was your role? What was the title? So, so when, like I told you, you had Joop van den Ende and John de Mol before right. they merged. And then Joop said, we are competing so heavily in Germany, which is a big TV market. So he called up John de Mol and saying, listen, we're competing in Germany. I think we should sit down and have a talk on maybe bringing our companies together. Wow. And that's how Endemol was formed. So I was there before it was Endemol. And I, it was literally the home where television, not for, for Holland, but for Europe, yeah. was, was created. And it was phenomenal. It was an, an amazing time. Everything was possible. Um, I worked as a host. I, I had my own deal, like a pod deal. So you were, okay, got it. So you were kind of in a talent slash producer overall deal yes. with Damal's partner. And then when they joined forces, that deal was absorbed. More or less. What happened is in, 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 it was sold animal to Telefonica. Maybe, okay. you know, for five, six billion, they became billionaires, which is amazing. <laughs> Literally on the height of the internet bubble. When that it had, first exploded. that had to plant the seed that was for you though. Like well, to, to see really. that sale. To well, think. to be honest, listen, Jimmy, if you're, when I created my company, which we're going to talk about, I had a lot of guys saying at, at my desk, you say, oh, great, let's do the same trick as Endemol did. And I always explained, it's not a trick. Yeah. It's not for the money. You have to do something because it makes sense and it is, it is real and it has a real nucleus from the inside because otherwise it's just bullshit and it won't work. So it was an amazing time. These guys sold literally, I think, a week or so before the internet bubble literally exploded. And that was in the time 2001 that that was content was king, the triple play. So it was bought by Telefonica for that purpose. And then, yeah, the whole company changed. And I created a show with two of my buddies called Test the Nation, okay. where you could test your IQ uh, live, big t TV event. Real time. Real time, which was pretty, very interactive, which was a great thing because it was way before, but and, very interactive. And you're testing your IQ against the nation itself? Against the nation, but against the professors in the studio, the students that we have. Okay the blonde girls that we have and the celebrities that we have. Right. Okay. So that, that was where the fun was. But, but that show, um, that was such a big hit in the Netherlands. I created with two friends and we were, I went to MIP to come. Uh, so this is your own creation. Yes. And is this when iWorks started? That's the beginning that, was that of the first iWorks production. Yes, it was. Wow. Yeah. And I went to come, there was not, not really a company yet. And I had the rights. So, with my buddy, I just went there and we decided to see if there would be interest and try to sell it. We came back, we sold it to 38 countries, and eventually we did it to 50 countries. We hold sold on, it. hold on. That trip to MIP. Yeah. You go, and obviously many people know who you are as a host at MIP, but now you're in this different capacity where you're pitching your own original yes. format. Yes. You sold it to 38 countries coming out of that MIP? Yeah. Well, what happened is that Holland, like if I go back to the Netherlands, small country. Interesting TV market. Right. So when we brought it on air, I sold it to uh, a small public broadcaster called BNN. Ratings through the roof. I got literally a call from RTL in Germany and say, um, I think we have to talk to you because you're the rights holder. 
they observe everything in the Dutch market. Right. They literally told me on the phone, oh, you were up against a big comedian, you were up against sports, you were up against that, but you uh, quadrupled the, the market share of that channel that night. Can you please come over to Cologne to explain us about that show? So I went to Germany, uh, which was fantastic. You know, RTL Germany is such a big powerhouse. Yeah. Great people over there. And they put their trust towards me and that show. And they bought it. And then, yeah, and then it started. Uh, and then I went to MIP. And then, you, you know, you can sell, tell you sold to, to RTL. And then it starts rolling. So once rolling. RTL was in and you had yes. that big yes. commissioner, yeah. then it just took off. Took and off. Lo- and local production started. And did you need to host any of those as no. party to the deal? Or no. What, what happened then is, long story short, some miscommunication about the rights. But then when I with Endemol, when I started, that's when I said, I'm going to start iWorks. I'm going to do my own company. Okay. It's time to do uh, to be on my own. Job van den Ende, my mentor, kind of left Endemol as well. So mm. there was kind of the, the right moment. And, and, Jimmy, if you talk about timing, it's such a, if you're an entrepreneur, timing is everything. Yeah. The mystery about timing is that you can only look at it after in the fact, retrospect, in retrospect, yeah. right? You so can't you, plan for it. No, and that's that was um, a bit of luck, I guess. But if you look back at the Dutch market uh, 16 years ago, there was such a big hunger, uh, I think, for new producers. Animal dominated the whole thing for so uh, long, and I there I came in as a young, angry, <laughs> hungry dog. You know, I brought in great people, young guys, and we were like, "Oh, we're gonna do this," and we got the trust from the market. We had some good successes, and that's where it uh, where You're it like started. Twenty nine at the time. Yeah, Something I guess like so. That? Yeah, yeah, more or less. This is two thousand one, and just yeah. to take a step back and look at where that was in the landscape of reality television yes. history. In 2000, in America, in 2000, Survivor comes out. In 2000, Big Brother comes out. 2002, American Idol is going to premiere. So you start iWorks in 2001 and sell this big format right at the birth of the reality boom as it's starting to make its way west. Yes. So from there, you, you, you sell this big format, and then you start to purchase other companies and production companies over the coming years. It's a good, good point of reference. And if you talk about this, you know, I never forget the fact that I took my show, Destination Under the Arm, uh, and I was coming here to, to Los Angeles to try to sell it. So I was... At, work- at that same time from there? At that same time, yeah. Okay. So I was... I, I was here with, with John Ferreter back in the day oh at William Morris. And yeah, he did sure. a great job. Hans Schiff, all these guys were involved. Itkin was involved. Did you know Ben? I did not know Ben then. No. My, my Ben Silverman. No, I, I hear boss. you. Just no. for the audience. Yeah. I just want to make sure they know who I'm Later we got ben in, was, in, in Yeah, contact. Ben was starting Revly, I guess, at that yes. point. So he wasn't there. As Later we, we, we talked to each other. But but at that point, you know, I never forget when I... I'm getting Ikin on the show, by the way. Great. He's, he's, how great will that if be? If you talk about reality here in the U.S., as you know, he's the guy that, that, that broke the ground for Godfather. everybody. Oh, I have so everybody. much respect for Mark Ikin. And now that he's stepped away from the agency game i'm hoping he can tell me everything he will i I'm, <laughs> I, I won't be surprised but I'm anyway gonna, wait, gonna so, you, so you come out here i come here time. hey listen so this is your guys, first time in los angeles yes first time ever i and i'm like you know it gave me so much energy so i take the show out with all these asians and we prepped it well and i never forget when i when i went to fox mike darnell right sure. mike darnell and of course i heard the whole stories there Hey, he's a big character, and and I, of course, he let us wait for forty five minutes in front of his office. And we, I hear his voice, and you were, and I see all these Emmys outside, and I'm I'm getting smaller and smaller. And you smaller. were initiated quickly, totally, and then, boom, 
door opens. He said, come in. And I walk in the door, and he high-fived me. Hey, man. He had a Western suit on, a big piano in his uh, in his office. Hey, man, come on, sit down. And we hit it off. So, And, and he took the show. So we did uh, we did it for Fox, which was an amazing, with Phil Gurren, the local producer, which was an amazing uh, and you experience. you did how many seasons for Fox? We did a couple of. I mean, this was were one-offs, right? Big, yeah. big, expensive one-offs, I guess. Phil did a good job on producing the show with Mark Janssen as his uh, right-hand guy. And I never forget, I mean, for me, it was amazing, you know, in the candy store of American television. And and I know the show so well, so, you know, I, I co-produced it. And then I was in the in truck, you know, right before we went live on air. It was live East Coast, uh, you know, delayed here. And literally 90 seconds, everybody is totally concentrated. 90 seconds, 60 seconds, 40 seconds before we went live on air, door opens. In comes Mike Dornell. Not only Mike Dornell, he's on the phone with his mother. He brings his whole entourage behind him. <laughs> hey, high-fiving everybody. And, and we're like, we have to go live, you know. And that, is, that was such a great time. And it did well here, so it was great. Had you met your wife at that point? Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, that's a good question. We, the, the journey we, we had, we did, a, we did it together. It's Unbelievable. Like through partnership, which is great. Great, yeah. That's she knows, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so you sell it here, and iWorks now is really on its way. How do you start wh- – when do you come up with the idea that I'm going to start purchasing companies in different te- uh, territories? Because for most people that launch a company, their goal is I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to get a big show on air. I'm going to grow this company as much as I can, and then I'm going to sell it one day or, or not. Good point. You, you had yeah. the presence of mind at that time where this wasn't a trend yet. You had the presence of mind to think, I am going to gobble up and invest in strategic companies around the globe, New Zealand, Germany, yeah. all over the place. Did you think one day I'm going to roll them up and sell as a package? It went, it went, listen, it went organically. Fact of the matter is, I started iWorks with two partners, Ronald van Weggem and Robert van der Bogart. They were both animal guys. They said, in the beginning, we have to be an international web, a creative web. Wow. But it's not like, oh, my gosh, we have to go all over the world. No, we – RTL in Germany, because it was such a big success, they asked us to be in the German market. So they said, mm. we own a small production company. We have a majority. Please, guys, take over our shares. Come into German wow. market. We like you guys here. And that's that's phenomenal to have that trust. And, by the way, iWorks last year, I think it was on the first or the second place of, of mostly valued – production companies in the German market. So after all these years, Still. we made an incredible journey of growing the company in the German market. I love Germany. Germany is great. People are great. Uh, we did shows for all the big broadcasters, and we were very hands-on. You know, We really worked very closely with the management. Then we went to Belgium. There was a big host, Paul Jombers, who kind of wanted to partner for his production company getting out. So we bought, for, for a very good deal, we bought that company, and we got a big output deal two months later with the, the Belgium big commercial media group, big output deal. So, it, you know, it's so one by one. Com- but, but it was so smart. I mean, you were buying companies that already had the network yeah. platform that was wanting to buy from them. So Germany, you had RTL yes. that was behind this production services company. Yes. And then in Belgium, you already had an output deal. So you had guarantee payback on yeah. your money. Well, but we, but who, well, whose money were you investing with? Was this all your own? 
Or did you have outside financing? No, it was ours, our own. The funny Jeez. thing is, yeah, but that's, you know, looking back at it, it was just a, so we had a bank, right? The yeah. bank, if you start a company, sure. I had to have, you know, I wanted to buy 30 computers. Right. My partner said, oh, that might be a little bit much, you know, but I was, no, no, this is what we're going to do. Fuck it. We're going to have 30 computers. We're going to do this. Right. Right. So we, we were introduced by a bank and then we were like, um, if we buy a camera instead of renting it all the time, right. we can make better margins on it. So we went to our bank. Can you please finance our camera? Because this and that, this is our plan with it, business plan behind it. And the guy looked at us and said, oh, maybe that's a little bit too early. Maybe you guys should wait not doing that. And I realized immediately this is not our bank. So mm. that same day, we went to another bank, and that's the ABN Amro. And why, why am I telling this? The ABN supported us from day one mm. it's still our bank they supported us in in our bill buy and build strategy where are they based they're they're dutch based and they, they grew into a european uh, footprint but the point is that that if you have you know i like long-term relationships i like profound relationships not only with my partners but with uh, the companies that we do business with and this bank just supported us and after four years five years i came back in touch with the op van den ende he saw what we were doing and we just took it from where we left and he invested uh, a substantial amount of money in iWorks for a 30% share. Got it. With his partner, Hubert Deitmers. We took that into the company so we had more equity to be more aggressive in our deals. and uh, To purchase more companies globally. Yes. So 2004? When, when did you buy 3Ball? I think in 2006. 2006. I'm not 100% sure, but... No, I think that's right. That's right. Because yeah. Biggest Loser premieres in 2004. Okay. Yeah. I think you buy, I think that's right. You buy Three Ball in 2006. Why Three Ball? Why that as the lone U.S. purchase? How did you get introduced to them? Was it, I think, I guess looking back, I bet I have my answer. Was it William Morris that kind of introduced the two sides? That's a great question. No. What actually happened is, so we were buying all these companies, and sometimes we started companies in Brazil. Sure. Uh, for instance, we were very successful. Um, and obviously, if you if you are in all those countries, a couple of things are important. Distribution, that you really try to cement all these different production companies around the world into one unity. Right. So, and, and I have to tell you, Jeff Goldman did an awesome job. He ran our distribution team. He is fantastic in how, how he did that. Um, and we as board are very close to all... Our companies all over the world. We traveled a lot, right? And then we so thought, when one territory creates one format, it, ob- yes. it can then be passed to the fifteen other companies across the globe, and everyone's working in unison. That's and it. And you have this, you know, global footprint. And you share, you share all the IP, right? So all the IP that you create as a local production company will be in the basket, in the right. central distribution basket. But all the IP that's in that basket for, from eventually 16 different countries would be exclusively available for your territory. Right. So it makes you stronger if you would be part of our network, right? right? So eventually we thought we have to go to the U.S., obviously, because it's such a fantastic market. And then we were introduced by Martijn Hamann, who was working for our private equity holder, for Jovemen, the private equity fund. Uh, and he said, um, I looked at this company before, two great guys, J.D. Roth, Todd Nelson. They're fantastic. We should guys, you should guys. As American meet. as it comes. Hey, so these, these two guys. These two guys. As American as it comes. So what happened? Todd is, and J.D. are just like. All American yeah. Manhattan Beach guys. Yeah. So we 
actually traveled. They were shooting a show called Endurance. I, I, I am not ashamed to say I was in college. Yeah. Um, I graduated college in 2004, and one of my first PA jobs actually was working for 3-Ball on Biggest Loser and Beauty and the Geek. Uh, and uh, I was fired from Beauty and the Geek. But anyway, this isn't about me. <laughs> oh, I want to hear This that isn't story. about me right now. Uh, but Endurance was a show I really respected because I actually I was probably too old to be watching it, but it was on Saturday mornings. And I played uh, American football in college, and we would be up very early for our team breakfast before we had an afternoon game. And that is what was on NBC on Saturday mornings. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, if I was a kid, this show I would just fall in love with because it was Survivor. Yeah. But with pairs of kids teamed yeah. up against yeah. each other. And it totally spoke to JD's background as a guy that came up as a host of kids' game shows and whatnot. So I, I even in college was very familiar with what Three Ball was doing just as a viewer. And Biggest Loser then would come out the year I graduate. They were doing For Love or Money. And then later I got to work on the first season of Beauty and the Geek. So they were doing big things at the time, and I would say they were one of the big emerging independent production companies yes. when you when you met them. Totally, and then uh, and JD, by the way, sorry to cut you no. off. JD with a, a somewhat similar parallel career trajectory as you, having started in front of the camera. You're totally right, totally right. So that's totally what happened when we when we drove to the Sheras where where they were shooting um, Endurance, just yeah. to get to know each other. And I never forget in the mountains they. Have built these huts for these kids, you know, like, uh, and and when they were not on set, we we started talking and we totally hit it off together because we have a similar background with with JD and myself, and um, we're both producers. And I explained about what our vision and our dream is to build a global company, and how these guys can play a fantastic role in that. And and we hit it off, and we were able to make a deal. Uh, first fifty percent, and then and the, then the other fifty percent, and whatever. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm I'm you know after ten years, you know a lot of things have changed, and we'll go back to why I'm here. But I'm still grateful that our relationship is good. Todd Nelson is still very much in the company with JD. I where, just saw him; it was great. I yeah. saw Todd. I had not seen Todd since I was his fired PA. That's fantastic. And I got to I got to talk to him about the old days of beating the geek and Biggest Loser. That's awesome. Uh, and I had really fond memories of the old three ball office. Yeah. You know, on the uh, old on the lot, the lot yeah, yeah. out there. Um, eight years go by. Yes. And in 2014, you sell. Yeah. iWorks Global. The reported price is 273 million dollars. That's what was in the trades that yes. I can look up. And you sell it to Warner Brothers. Who approached who? Were you meeting with many, many different potential buyers at that time? Did Warners come inquiring about you guys? How'd that happen? So if I take two steps back, sure. If if what we wanted to achieve is to build this international studio, right? We did seventy percent of what we did was non scripted reality. Right. Thirty percent of what we produce around the world is scripted. Hmm. TV dramas, not in the U.S. In the U.S. it's only unscripted, right. but around the world was TV dramas and some feature films in, in some territories because it's great to have talent in the feature film industry and TV dramas, and then it, it, it strengthens the, the ecosystem. There's one market that we terribly failed, and that's the U.K. Mm-hmm. We bought a company in the U.K., good guys uh, called Edit. Um, we couldn't make the turn together to get them in our DNA. Hmm. maybe it wasn't the right fit. So the UK is a very important market. If we look at markets, it's the US, obviously. It's the UK. It's Holland. In the UK, you're protected as producer by law right. for your creativity, which is a very good thing. Uh, in all other territories around the world, you have to fight to retain your IP, which right. is kind of 
if you think about it. The Netherlands is a great launching platform. If you look at, and that's so interesting, even when I talk to people from the industry here in the U.S., and I tell, I ask them about The Voice, and they say, yeah, it's such a great show. I said, where is it created? They say, oh, here, it's Mark Burnett, you know, it's the whole thing. Right. I said, no, The Voice is a 100% copy of how it's produced in the Netherlands. Yeah. By the way, where it was created and launched by John well, DeMol and his team. sold by DeMol yes. to NBC, and then NBC brought it to Mark and his office to be the local producers of it to pull it off. But it's Dutch show. It's a Dutch show. My point is that, that and John DeMol is a force of nature in that field. He's phenomenal in doing that, but he sees Holland as a test market to launch his, his shows worldwide. Point is that for us in the UK, we failed. And and what happened is that, you know, if you're building a creative company, you always must, it can never be a standstill. You have to, it's like with water. That's how we see it, you know, with creativity, with people, ideas, it, the, the river has to flow. And we felt it was time to go to try to get to a next level, mm. either with private equity, try to raise money, make bigger steps, or with a strategic. And there's a guy over at Warner Brothers named Ronald Goes, great guy, who made contact with us. And he said, Got it. he said, listen, uh, we looked at all, you know, marketplace. We'd love to have an international footprint, uh, international local production companies. We're big in the UK. They just bought Shed, which was a big company. Right. For us now, it's a step. We looked at Endemol, great, but with all the debts and the shareholder structure and the chaos there, it might be not good for us. And we simply love what you guys have built with iWorks. Can we please talk? And then we decided to work with ABN and look what kind of possibilities were out there uh, with Warner Brothers, private equity. There was quite some interest. And, yeah, that's that's how it started. Well, what's amazing to me is... $273 million, Warner Brothers purchases the global yes. operation, but not the U.S., no. not not 3-Ball, no. which was at that point I, uh, iWorks USA. Yeah. It is now 3-Ball once again. Uh, right. You rebranded the company after the purchase. $273 million, and you don't even have the company that produces the biggest loser involved in that sale. Yeah. So for you, were you thinking, okay, uh, we're going to solve this piece, and I'm going to keep the U.S. piece because there's still work to be done here? Because it's a it's a stock that I'm I'm want I want to cash in later. What what why not include that in the sale? It came. It's, it's a good question. It came in the in the dialogue we had with Warner Brothers. They were predominantly they wanted our companies in all these other territories. Okay, they're so big in the U.S. Right, they so were, they were only thinking internationally. That's where it started. The right. whole dialogue with iWorks started from an international, non-domestic point of view. Got it. We were like. But three ball, I wish you was at the time. It's such a great asset. Um, so it was not an e not a difficult not a difficult conversation to have to say. Let's carve three ball out. You buy the rest, and for us, you know, I was on a non compete, so I moved to 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 LA, for, and for two years I could not work outside of the U.S. because of my sale to Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. And that ended last June. So now we're looking at, hey, we have three ball, which is a fantastic asset. What can we do to strengthen the footprint here in the U.S.? And by the way, maybe even looking outside again. So in a couple of years, five years, you could have a three ball in London. You could have a three ball in, in Germany. Yeah, uh, very well. Uh, we could, you know, I think distribution is an interesting field. There's so much content. Yeah. So much local producers. Um, 
that don't know how to monetize that content. Maybe even on a global scale. Maybe even... It's such a dynamic... I don't have to tell you, Jimmy, but it's such a dynamic market at the moment. If you even look here in the US, what's going on, you know, with 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 everything on linear that is so much, you know, under pressure in a way, but over the tops that are buying content right. that they... Even non-scripted content that was not... That they didn't do two years ago, whatever, for good budget. So... The buyer universe is very much, um, there's a lot of things going on. And we believe that there are fantastic opportunities, if you read it right, um, to sell content in different layers. Well, let me ask you, I mean, you now having worked across so many different territories in, in TV production and now the last three years exclusively in the U.S., how different is the U.S. marketplace dealing with U.S. buyers, U.S production, you know, uh, executives that are auditing our budgets here in the U.S., trying to make deals. They gobble up the rights. It's harder than ever to retain international rights. I mean, look, I'm in a pod at all three media. We're a global company. We're not always getting the international rights, especially not when we sell to cable. Were the deals better in Europe all along? Like, are they ever auditing your budgets? Is there more money to be made on the margins? You were obviously retaining your formats. Was it night and day when you came over here and saw how it was done? I do think I do think the market is changing for sure compared to five years ago or let alone ten years here ago. Here or over there? Uh, I think in a lot of places, not only here, but okay. but but yes, in the US it it's changed uh, pretty drastically. I mean now you see I mean you can answer this question on so many f- different levels, right? Now you see the trend first it was a trend towards scripted, right? In the US. Oh scripted was holy girl. Everybody even cables that are were never into scripted everybody is buying scripted now i'm not sure if that's sustainable right. you know if you look at the it's not that the big studios can sell their scripted shows all over the world just like that right. it's just not like it's so how you can how can you defend the budgets that are for scripted so i do see that as a trend uh what for instance if you look at even at networks if you look at at nbc nbc is pretty i mean the voice is a pretty big you know, yeah. it's a pretty big uh, tentpole for for them. So that's on the non-scripted side. Then you see the trend towards all cables or networks. Oh, we're going to do it with our own studios, right? It's right. going to be in-house. I saw that all over the world, mm-hmm. all over the world. You know, in Germany, in Holland, everybody says, "Oh, now we're going to do it ourselves." And then it's a trend because they see great ideas come often from outside, and we miss out on that one. And it's I see those yeah. movements as those waves. Don't you think there's also when the ideas come in from the outside because when you need to hunt to eat, you're just going to be hungrier 100%. than when you're in an in-house studio where your lights are going to be on no matter how many ideas you pitch internally. This is so true. Right. That's why we're the, the – I see ourselves always as the dogs. They kick <laughs> us away. You know how it is with – Yeah. With, and we love it. That's the game. You know, you play and there's, a, there's such a – of tension between buyers and producers, but in the end, we I see ourselves a bit as the, as the cowboys as well. I got to say, one thing I I really respect as I was doing my research on you, I think you see oftentimes people will come in as an owner and they'll purchase a media company, and they're at a very high level, and you then all of a sudden see their names appearing on all the shows. You executive producer this, executive producer that, and they may never make it to set, ever. They may never even meet the host of that show, may never meet your showrunner, but their names are on the shows as the EP. You don't have executive producer credits on well, these – no. these, not that I found, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but I don't see your name on any of the three ball shows. And I thought that was 
really incredible and and the antithesis of what most of people in your position you how they usually operate interesting observation was that a conscious decision by you was that not part so of, much was that I've, part of the purchase of three ball in no, the first place no no not not at all but it's not something i'm not in it for the ego game you know i don't care about my name in the sense that i want my name out there or you know i'd love to do this interview because you're a guy that's that's, that's working in the trenches you know alongside right. i've been doing that for so long um on the three ball side you know just just to clarify um, I'm, I'm the chairman. I'm looking at strategic possibilities. I think we're, 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 there's going to be some in- interesting, great stuff ahead of us. Right. But I'm not running the day-to-day. It's still Todd. You know, as DJ Nuri is involved with the whole creative team. So I'm not, you know, every now and then I have a bigger project that I think, hey, I'd love to have this and take it out and whatever. Then I'm totally involved. But it's not that I want to have my name out there or whatever. That's not what I, that's not what makes me, makes me a, uh, Tick in a way. So what does make you tick? Is it the movies you're doing on the side in Europe? Because you've directed, you've made many movies in Europe. Yeah. That's still a flourishing business for you. Now that you've stepped back and you're such a high role, I, the thing I've noticed in all business, usually the thing that got you promoted is the thing you do less of the further you go up the ladder. So if you start and you're the best head of marketing at a network, and then one day you get made the president of the network, then you get made the chairman of the network, you're not really doing marketing anymore. And now you're overseeing a bunch of different departments that aren't really your, in your skill set. Now you, you started as a host, you became a producer, then you started buying companies, and now you're the chairman of the board of a very successful production company. But you still have that creative yeah. itch inside of you. So what is it now that kind of satisfies that, that creative bone in your body? I mean, this is... this Is, uh, is that a fair question? It's a very fair question, and I admire... You know, I'm, that's a stupid thing about me in the sense that I'm a business guy, but I'm creative as well. You know, I direct movies, like you said. I admire artists who can stay true hmm. to towards their, let's say, inner fire. And I know it sounds corny or whatever, but it's so difficult. You know, if you if you look at a guy like Chris Martin from from Coldplay, who's who's a dear friend. If you look, yesterday I was driving with my daughter, and we know him so well, and I'm so proud of what he accomplishes. Yesterday we're in the car, and his new song was on right and it's it's just came out and it's fantastic and what i want to say is it's so great if you're an artist and you're not you know you become successful and money or whatever but you can still feel and see and have that line inside of you that you want to that you can open up and where the inspiration comes from and where your art comes from for me in the phase that i'm in you know when i was working as a business guy building this company I missed totally making TV shows. Yeah. So that's why we were making feature films in, in Europe. And, and we had a scripted meeting with the whole team. And we had the rights of a very successful book that sold a, a lot of copies. And we had the rights, but we couldn't find a director. And every two weeks we had another meeting. And that director didn't want to touch it or he was busy or he said, no, I'm... I'm. And then I, I said, but I want to direct it. Yeah. And which was, it just came out. I didn't really think about it, but I was like, but I want to tell this story. It's such a gripping, emotional, true story. And then an exciting thing happened that the whole table looked at me. And we have one guy, older guy, Hans de Beers, a very respectful, uh, respected producer who actually won an Oscar back in the day, Academy Award. And he looked at me and he said, that's kind of an exciting idea. And I looked at him and said, what? What do you... If he would have said, mm, yeah, but we're not going to do that. Let's go on with the meeting. Right. He would have been totally right. But he said, that's kind of exciting. And that allowed me 
to really start thinking about it. This is this is wild. And so next to all my business things, I dove into this movie project. And it it was fantastic to do. So I directed the movie. It became a, it's still in the top ten of highest growing movies in the Netherlands. Right. Uh, so it was a big success. Great actors, great cast, great story. And I think about it with a lot of warmth. And um, so now those moments are less frequent, but you will jump in and take on those projects to scratch that itch when they present themselves. I, I don't rule it out, Jimmy. I yeah. don't rule it out for That's sure. That's great. Yeah. As you sh- as you should know. Yeah. Last question. Because you just referenced that your BFF with Chris Martin and that you were wow. They, oh, I mean, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm getting to a, a different point. But you're, you're, you're talking in the car, you know, uh, with your daughter. Yeah. You mentioned your daughter, and I, I'm about to have my second yes. daughter. <laughs> I have a two year old about to have my second in five weeks. Any day, Congrats, I, I can man. get the call any moment now. Uh, it's almost. By the way, go, it's a huge change. It's from, almost from time. one to two. But but for you, I mean, you grow up with the son of a dentist. Yeah. Your mom is an educator. You had two brothers, you said earlier? Two older brothers, right? yeah. And, but not a wealthy family. And now here you are in California, and your children, your four children, are going to great schools in a, in a world out here in L.A. that is far from your upbringing in the Netherlands, where it's all about chasing this, chasing yeah. that, about appearances, and can I get into these parties? Oh, how many Instagram followers do my friends have? How do you, knowing where you came from, and now how you've arrived, and you and your wife knew each other before you ever got to this level. How do you and your wife make a conscious decision as parents to keep your kids grounded and not take for granted the opportunities that they're given? Obviously, you're talking about the most important topics in our in our lives and with uh, for anyone that, that has kids. First of all, you know, if you talk about my wife, I hope you meet her one day. She's a force of nature. She <laughs> is incredible. She's a great partner. We have... You know, we're going through life, yeah, similar energy, similar goals. Fuck, we have we fight every now and then, big time, whatever you understand. It's just, sure. it's, but it's great to it's have life. somebody that you, that you kind of go through life in a similar, um, similar pace and and desires and 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 love and and priorities and priorities. Yeah, and it's, I wanted to say goal, but it's not really goal. But but we just. We just kind of know and feel what we, how we see life and how we want to uh, live it, basically. And that's what we try to give to our kids as well. And it's it's not always easy, uh, but our kids are very grounded. Uh, I think it's great that they have that they do have European luggage in their backpack as yeah. well. That, yeah, that, that's good. Uh, but they love the American lifestyle. They have great friends here, and to be honest, we are in great schools as well. And and if you're if you have that nailed down it's not very difficult to uh, to not, to not let them drift away it starts at home it starts it always starts at home of I, course I, I totally agree and you know on a much smaller scale for me uh, <laughs> you know I, I have I overthink everything I'm extremely neurotic <laughs> if you haven't been able to put that together in the last hour <laughs> but a uh, small example so I grew up going to Dodger games here in LA okay and my dad so, so you're a true Angelino then or not I'm a Californian yeah I, okay. I, I split my my adolescent years between uh, Southern Cal and Northern California, okay. but grew up down here and in, in the suburbs. And uh, my dad would take me to Dodger stadium and that was a huge deal. And I remember going to my first game. Uh, we played the uh, Dodgers played the St. Louis Cardinals and Ozzie Smith was playing shortstop. And uh, we sat in the loge section, which is the middle seats at Dodger stadium. And it was a thrill just to be in the ballpark. It was a thrill now as an adult mm. and having, had opportunities because I worked 
for Ben and, and I work with networks that will offer you tickets. I've had the opportunity now. You see where I'm going. I've had the opportunity now to have the stadium club seats where you're sitting literally right behind the backstop. Awesome. And it's free food. That's awesome. And it's an incredible experience. Yes. Like any sports fan, it's heaven. And I, I play this game with myself now thinking, okay, in a few years when my daughter is old enough to actually sit through a ball game because she does not sit for anything currently, <laughs> I'm going to be faced with a decision. Do I just introduce her to baseball in the stadium club at six years old, seven years old, and that's all she knows and that's all she's accustomed to and she'll never appreciate it, that that's where she sits? Or do I take her to the cheap seats and throughout the course of her life start working her way down to the stadium club so she builds a respect for it? And what do you think? What are you going to do? I have no idea, Ryan. I was hoping you could tell me what to do because you seem to have all the answers. Oh, my gosh. No. no. But, but, but you understand, like, that's the conflict I have in my mind of raising kids in Los Angeles. But you could be anywhere just so they have a respect for what they're given. And, and that, those are the games I'm playing right now as a young father. And I'm looking at you now deep into it with four kids and having all the opportunities in the world. And, you've, and you're such a success story. For how you balance that when when raising the kids and what they're given and what they're not given. That's, it's great. I, I, Am I overthinking it? I think, no, of course not. It's great to think about these these, these major items in, in, in your kids' lives and education. And what would I do? To be honest, we will be in the in the in the in the, in the stadium because you want to give them the best. Because <laughs> yeah. you do, yeah, for sure. Because you want to give them the then, best. And it's I fully understand that <laughs> that they must realize, hey guys, this is not normal. And by the way, that's what we tell them as well, right. and they realize it. Or so it's not. You, you know, really got to emphasize that it. it's you not shoot. normal. Yeah, you should. You have to. You yes. got to really, like, yeah. you you really double down yes. on this is not where everybody sits. And as clearly. long as they work hard and they they try to give the best on this for, for, uh, of themselves in a, on a daily basis, I don't care if they, they're in the stadium seats and, and, and enjoying it in that sense. I mean, you started at 29 and, and when before you had the How kids. old are you? I'm 35. Okay. No, really like I said, my wife is a great partner, and um, I think she played a very important role in that. Yeah, you're a very nice man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate. It. I hope it, this was okay. It was. It was awesome. It gave me a lot of energy, and it was great questions. And I, I, I love to do it. Thank you for coming over. Thanks for sitting down. Thanks, appreciate Jay. It.